I want to tell you something about Michelle, because she's this an amazing person. She's the CEO and founder of Soaring Spirits International, a nonprofit providing programs and resources for widowed people globally. And Michelle, uh, it's a really fascinating story about how her husband died. And she set up this program, Soaring Spirits. And I'll have to say she did it on her credit card. She did her first conference. I'll never get over that. It still gets me. She, she charged all the rooms on her credit card. She's the author of A Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself and Healing After Grief and Trauma. And she was honored in 2021 in the top 10 CNN heroes and was featured in Apple TV documentary, Gutsy. Well, so thank you for moderating this panel today. And Heidi's gonna introduce the panel for us. Thank you, Michelle. And thanks to your the panel members here today, Jill Johnson-Young. Jill is a licensed clinical social worker and a co-founder and owner of Central Counseling Services. Jill is twice widowed and now married to a funeral, funeral director. Jill hosts a Friday, uh, let's see, she hosts a Friday grief chat with Deborah Joy Hart. It's on humor, grace, and grief, and you can find it on Facebook Live. She has published five books, the most recent being The Rebellious Widow. That sounds like a good one. Welcome to the panel, Jill. Thank you. It's good to be here. And next we have, let's see, I'm not going in any order, Carla Wheeler. Carla co-heads the Public Relations and Marketing Committee for Open to Hope. She is on our board of directors. She is the founder and president of Quality of Life Publishing Company, a national publishing firm specializing in grief support books. Carla is the author of grief books for adults and children and writes bereavement columns for newspapers and magazines across North America. Several of Carla's family members have experienced a good death thanks to hospice, including her 54-year-old husband. Carla is also a longtime hospice volunteer in Florida. Welcome, Carla. Thank you. Wonderful to be with you all. And then, and then last but not least, we have Abel Keough. Abel is a relationship coach and an expert on widower relationships. He is the author of six books, including The Wife in the Next Life, Room for Two, and Dating a Widower. His Dating a Widower YouTube channel contains a Valuable advice for widowers and the women who are dating or married to them. Welcome, Abel. I am going to turn the panel over now to Michelle. Thank you all. I am so excited to be here with all of you. Thank you so much for lending your expertise to this panel. Um, I wanted to just begin by acknowledging that we are all widowed ourselves. And so in order to do that, if we could just introduce ourselves our person or people's names, um, how long you've been widowed, and and what was the cause of death for your people. Um, and so I'll I'll end with myself, but let's start if we can with Carla. Hi, Carla. Laura, hi there. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, my husband Jerry and I were married for 28 wonderful years. He was an extremely healthy 54-year-old man, and out of the blue, he developed stage four cancer and died six weeks later. So that's my story. I did. I am very blessed. I did remarry four years ago. A wonderful man. So I'm extremely blessed. Wonderful. Well, it's glad to have you. Thank you so much, Carla. Ebel? Yeah, my uh, late wife's name was uh, Krista. Uh, I was widowed young. She was 26 when she died, and I was widowed back in 2001. Um, and uh, Krista took her own life, so it was suicide. 
And, but um, like Carla, I've remarried and actually me and my, my now wife, I guess, have, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary last week. Wow, congratulations. Nice. Glad to have you, Abel, thank you. Hi, Jill. Hey, so I am Jill. I was married to Linda for 23 years. She had stage three breast cancer. She beat that. She died breast cancer free. She died of pulmonary fibrosis 13 years ago next month um, as a result of the chemotherapy that they had to use to give her the extra time that we had. And uh, while she was sick, she told me that I was going to marry her hospice nurse, Casper. And uh, we told her she was crazy. And then it turned out she was right. We did get married. Um, and then we ended up uh, being introduced to Lewy body dementia, which is what caused Robin Williams to take his life. And after three short years with early onset Lewy body, uh, she died in 2013. And now I am married to the funeral director who took care of both of them. And we've been married nine years this year. I always like how you wrap up your story, Joe, when we've talked about this before. <laughs> um, so I'll briefly say that my late husband, Philip, um, was killed in a cycling accident when he was 39. I was 35. We had a blended family of six, um, and it has been 17 years since he died. So um, I have been widowed for quite a while, um, and we do have kind of a great sort of stretch of how long people have been widowed and at what ages. Um, so I'm eager to dive into the questions. Um, we're gonna kind of bounce around. And so I'm, I wanna just direct our questions one at a time to each of you. And um, if anybody has a burning desire to answer that same question, please just you know give me a signal and we'll, uh, we'll go to you. Otherwise I'll, I'll give each one of us different questions to, to sort of, um, look at the scope of widowhood and how it's influenced each of us, as well as what we've found helpful as we've moved through. So um, starting with uh, maybe Jill, if you would. Jill, I know you've, I think I would love actually for you to answer this from both perspectives, from your two different experiences with widowhood, but what part of widowhood did you initially find to be the most challenging? There are two parts. One was I had three teenage girls at the time. Oh, so yeah. that's challenging all by itself yeah. and managing their responses. But more than anything, it was managing other people's need to have input as to how I did widowhood and what I needed to do for me and for the kids and what boundaries I needed. And those boundaries frequently um, folks trying to help in a way that trod all over those boundaries and needing to be able to say, nope, this is my space, get out of my hula hoop. Isn't right? it amazing how many people have an opinions? And, Especially and people who've those... never walked it. <laughs> yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, Abel, did you have that experience as well? Did you find that people felt like they needed to tell you how you do things? Uh, well, I think for me, when I was widowed younger, I think most people didn't know what to say to me. So my biggest yeah. challenge was just kind of just you know, adjusting to actually being alone. Um, you know, I mean, most of my friends, you know, what, cause I was widowed young, they, you know, I, I had friends that weren't even married or things like that. And I think people, you know, in, you know, in my experiences, they didn't know what to say to me. They didn't know what to do with me. 
And so my biggest challenge was just learning how to be alone. It was so hard for me to come home and have nobody there mm -hmm. and have nobody, you know, kind of like some of the purpose of my life was gone. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I'd been, been uh, working. My wife was expecting when she took her own life. And so it's like suddenly all the stuff I'd been looking forward to was gone. And I think that was, you know, just not having a purpose and coming home to an empty house were the biggest challenges for me. Yeah. What would you say was one of the things you did to help yourself through that? Um, I just, I learned to be a lot more proactive about just going out and trying to find things to do. I think, you know, the worst thing I could have done was just sit at home with nothing to do. And I, so I really learned just to kind of be proactive and call people or try to set things up, or even if I was just going out and doing something by myself, just, you know, doing something that would give me, you know, trying to find an activity that would give me kind of a purpose or something to look forward to that day. Yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of it just having to be for that day, right? Like we could just find one thing to look forward to today. It doesn't have to be a long-term thing. It could even be a short-term thing. Um, what about you, Carla? Did you find being alone initially difficult? No, I did not. I mean, as far as the uh, losing my, my dear husband and that, that male companionship, yes. But I found that because Jerry's illness came on so suddenly, and we have such a large family, so many of whom just you know, were in shock and missed him so much. What I found was that I was trying to tend to everyone's needs, especially our 14-year-old daughter, but then his younger brothers, his poor bereaved mother, uh, all the, the cousins and everybody else who loved him so much. So I found the, the first months I was tending to everyone else's needs and forgetting my own. And then I was able to find that space to, to nurture myself and be gentle with mm -hmm. myself. So I think just being gentle with ourselves is one of the biggest lessons I learned because we, our to-do lists just become huge uh, because we think that we need to be on top of all the things that he was on top of plus the things that I was on top of. And it is, so I find just deep breaths and be gentle with ourselves when we're with it really helps. That's such great advice. And, and that leads me actually to ask this next question about um, what is it that you wish you had done differently in your widowhood? And I want to just start by acknowledging that I felt a little bit like I wanted to rush through, like I wanted to check off all the boxes. And so that if I hurried, I think that my thinking was if I hurried up and checked all the boxes and I could move through this more quickly. But the results of what of that time for me was that I didn't give myself enough time to just feel my feelings. And so I'm curious, um, Jill, is there anything that you, anything you would do differently or anything that you would um, like to add to this sort of idea of, of what might we do to support ourselves in that early part of widowhood? I wish I had carved out more time off mm -hmm. um, each time to give myself a little more adaptation time. I wish I had been firmer in those boundaries initially. Um, and I wish I had really taken a moment. I'd done blogging so I could fill people in what was going on. But I wish that I had been really clear about when you have been a caregiver for someone who's been ill for a very long time, that you have done anticipatory grief um, for literally years. And so you are in a different space in your grief than other people who are on the outside looking in and weren't integrated into that or didn't integrate themselves. So they were still in that spot where, you know, it was, they wanted us to take care of them. 
and acknowledge their grief. And I was already over here restructuring my life Mm -hmm. and it created conflict. And I wish that I had minimized some of that by just saying flat out, you guys didn't do your grief when I did. So you got to do yours someplace else. I also love that you brought up that for our widowed people who are caregivers, you know, there's just so much emotional energy, mental energy, physical energy that goes into that, that we really have to think about how to really be careful and care for ourselves in the aftermath of that, because it's, it's, it's whole other thing, right? Like it's in addition to grieving, you're already depleted. And so for any of you out there who have been taking care of someone you love for, for a long time, or even really a short time, but the longer the time is, I feel like the more depleted we can be by the time it comes to a place where we're ready to manage our own grief. Go to the Um, doctor, get your labs, get your mammogram. Don't don't mess around. Do all the things. Um, Abel, what about you? Anything you wish you'd known or done differently? Um, I think for me, it was not getting into a serious relationship so quickly. Uh, You know, for me, I think it was just that that issue of just not wanting to be alone. So I started dating uh, probably about five months after my late wife died. And the dating itself wasn't the issue. I think that was actually good for me, but I think it was jumping into a serious relationship so uh, quickly. And this is a this is not with my now wife, um, in case she's watching, just so she knows that. <laughs> <laughs> got to be clear. Uh, yeah, but I, I got into a relationship probably a month or so after I started dating. I got into a serious relationship. And I mean, you know, honestly, looking back, it was for the wrong reasons because I was, you know, I didn't want to be alone. I wanted somebody to kind of uh, be there with. And I think, you know, if I could have done it differently, I think I just would have, you know, I wish I could kind of just go back and say, Abel, you know, you don't you know, you know, the dating's good for you, but you don't need a relationship right now. Just kind of take your time and go out there and just kind of see what's out there and just kind of just learn kind of what you need in this next chapter of your life. Yeah. I think it's also such a great theme for, you know, us as a group to talk a little bit about that idea of giving ourselves time because it, it can be difficult one to shape the time. And as Carla mentioned, it can also be difficult to make ourselves a priority when there's so many other things pulling on us. Um, one of the ways we do that, of course, is by setting boundaries. And Carla, I'm curious, what boundary did you find the most difficult to set? And, and how did you go about firmly holding that when it was time? Wow, that's a... That's a tough question, Michelle, because I think there were so so many boundaries that I, I needed to, to learn. It's interesting because with the uh, hospice bereavement volunteering that I had done for years, I considered myself an expert. I'm an expert in grief. I know how to grieve. And then when it happened, you know, when my parents both passed, we all know that's a, a much different uh, type of grief than when our spouse or partner passes. And so I, I, I just... I, I realized that, hey, there are no experts when it comes to grief. And so I found myself uh, going to a support group, going to a counselor and trying to uh, ask those people to help me to set those boundaries so I could start that inner healing because of course I'm just the nurturer who wants to nurture and heal everybody else. So it, it was quite a journey and I'm, you know, I'm still learning. It's interesting mm-hmm. because uh, you know, we, we all experience those grief attacks uh, where suddenly a song on the radio or something happens and, and we're reminded of our loved one that we lost. Well, my husband has been gone for 17 years and I'm still having grief attacks. So I'm still learning that way. I'm happily remarried. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, uh, you know, something happened recently and I found myself just crying and crying. And I thought, 
wow, I, I'm still learning. I'm still learning mm. how to breathe. Thank you so much, Carla. I, I hope everyone took away from that, that it's a great idea to have help when setting your boundaries, that you don't have to, in your own mind, be the only one who's doing it, but that seeking out support while trying to discover how best to support yourself um, is one of the key things that we can do for ourselves in widowhood. Um, Abel, I'd like to ask you, because Carla so beautifully brought up this idea that we may still be grieving when and have grief moments when we are repartnered happily and living a whole different life, one that we didn't expect. Um, one of the things that I have found, I'm also remarried. I've been happily married to my husband for 13 years. And many people, especially in our early relationship, assumed that that meant there was no more grief that we were all done grieving because I was married. And so, you know, that on some level, I think people were happy <laughs> and others, they were a little surprised to discover that I'd still uh, would have times when I, I really miss Phil. And, you know, I always think of it this way. I'll never wish he wasn't dead. Um, and so that's going to influence me sometimes and influence my relationship. So I'm curious for you, what was your experience of that? Did people assume that you were done grieving and how did your grief influence your relationship? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people were just worried, like when I got remarried, because I remarried 15 months after my late wife died. And I think, you know, I mean, people were, I think, supportive, but they were, I could kind of tell that they were like, what is Abel doing kind of thing? You know, they were just, I, I think they were more worried about me and that, and that um, I was making kind of a mistake, or I guess I was rushing into things. Maybe I wasn't making a mistake, but I was rushing into things. And so, um, you know, so I, I'm sorry. The question was, how did I deal with? with well, I'm just curious how your grief influence. I mean, as you said, you know, people make this sort of my people around me and for other people who I've met, they have the sense that, okay, well then you're done grieving. Yeah. So Abel got married and he's all done grieving. Thank goodness we can all move through that now. Um, and how you handled any expectations that people might have had around that. Yeah, I think the biggest expectation I had to handle was with was with uh, Julie, was with my uh, living wife. I really, you know, I think, you know, we, we kind of, once I got remarried, we kind of moved away just because we wanted kind of a fresh start. And I think it was maybe setting expectations with her and her just kind of learning um, that, okay, Abel's having a moment and, you know, this isn't personal, this isn't, a, you know, this isn't a, a reflection of me or a reflection of our marriage, uh, but just, you know, just that Abel just needs a moment. And, and, and for me, you know, the way I, I, I guess I grieved, I can see it now, but, it, but the way I was grieving at the time, it was really through anger. Cause you know, again, my, mm -hmm. my, uh, you know, my late wife had killed herself. I think there was just a lot of, you know, I had a lot of anger towards her. So I think Julie could tell there was times where I would just get, you know, something had triggered me. She wouldn't know what triggered me but something had triggered me and she could tell I was tensing up and I was angry. And so I think it was her just learning to say, okay, you know what, Abel needs a moment. I'm going to go to the other room or I'm just going to give Abel a space and, you know, things will be fine, you know, in whatever, 10 minutes or, you know, 20 minutes, but I just need, you know, it was, I thought, I think it was just trying to set those expectations with her that if I, if I was triggered or something happened, this wasn't personal. This wasn't a reflection of her or our marriage or anything like that. It was just, it was just something I had to work through and I learned to work through it. And then, you know, life would go back to normal. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like, you know, it's always a part of who we are. And so, you know, when the moments come, they come and knowing that you have a supportive partner who's able to provide you the space that you need or whatever support it is we need individually. Um, Linda or, or Jill, sorry, Jill, I love that you brought up um, that 
you can be in a companionship and grieving at the same time. And you note that it's one of the things that is a misconception about grief, which was one of the things I had hoped to talk about. So I'd love to hear just from your perspective, you know, what is one of the common misconceptions of grief that you, and you've noted it here in the chat for anybody who'd like to take a look, but I'd love to hear you talk about it. I used to be a hospice social worker and administrator. I did that for many, many years. And it was back in the day that every curriculum for hospice grief support groups, the first rule was thou shalt not make any major changes for you. Thou shalt not date. Thou shalt not establish a new relationship. And there is absolutely nothing in the research that supports that. Mm -hmm. There is zero. There's a lot in the research that supports if someone especially has had a long grief process or coped maybe an able situation with someone who's had some mental health issues that is so stressful that it's actually healthy to grieve and companionship with someone that you can love again our our hearts are not pies they don't you know you don't get little sections that only a little bit gets given away you take that person with you so the biggest misconception for me is when we tell people who are grieving that they are not allowed to date not allowed to marry again not allowed to be intimate again because when you lose an intimate partner and you're waking up to an empty bed every morning, it's just not, it, that's another extra loss. Intimacy loss is an extra loss mm -hmm. when we lose a partner. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we need to be more supportive of folks making their own decisions. So April was yeah. ready earlier, mm -hmm. I waited longer, you waited, it, it depends on the person. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because that's the thing, right? I always wish there was an exact way to do it. Right? Wouldn't that be easy if There's there were no just cookbook. a list and you do exactly <laughs> the things and then you can be done. But the truth is that every one of us experiences this differently. What we mm -hmm. need, it can be dependent upon so many things, including how our person died, when our person died, how old were we, how old were they? All, I mean, there are just too many variables to even think that we could all do this a certain way. So on that note, um, I know we just have a few more minutes. So what I'd love to do is just ask each of you, what's one thing you would offer to someone who is widowed? You can choose newly widowed, um, but to support themselves. Like what's one just small little nugget that you like to offer to somebody when they come to you and say, oh, I know a friend who's widowed. I'd love them to talk to you because I know that's happened to all of you. <laughs> so when that happens, what is the thing that you say? Carla, I'd love to start with you. I think it's just to give the person a safe space for you to just be a, a true listener and with no judgments, no expectations, validate for them that wherever they are in their grief process, it is a process, it's not an event, wherever they are is where they're meant to be right at this moment, and it's okay. And also to open up a, a space for the, the tears, uh, yeah. the you know, tears let the pain out and that the, without letting those that pain out through the tears it our journey might become a little more a uh, little more challenging so yeah. i think just the the listening and the validating thank you abel um, I think I would, uh, I think I would kind of emphasize what Carla said that it is a journey, you know, it's not something that again, it's not, you know, there's not a bunch of things that you can just uh, check off. It is, it is a journey, but, um, but everything will eventually work out, you know, is that, you know, just kind of figure out what this journey looks like for you and uh, take your time getting through it. But just knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that things will eventually work out and you'll figure out what chapter two looks like and uh, you can still be happy and find joy again. Thanks so much, Abel. Jill? 
You know, I'd like to tag onto both of them and add in that adding that joy and I'd, I'd like to make sure grievers know that it's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. It's okay to go outside and feel sunshine and enjoy the sunshine because that's healthy. You can still have moments where you cry, but if we don't let grievers have the full range of emotion, we lock them in to sadness and, and, the, and that's not healthy. It's not good for us physically. It's not good for us emotionally. And we should be able to support people in doing the things they need to do, including laughing and telling silly stories about the person who died. Yeah. And I'll say that's my, that uh, to wrap that up, I'll just say that my advice is always for us to be so kind to yourself because mm -hmm. our harshest critics are often inside our heads and also to allow yourself to make your own way. You don't have to do it the same way as someone else and you don't have to follow things that don't feel true or right for you. Um, I remember feeling like my inner voice was just, I couldn't hear it. And I felt like it was because the din of grief was so loud. But as I learned how to settle and listen to my inner voice, it, it, it became the place where I could determine what, whether the thing that was, you know, suggested or I was doing felt like the right space for me. So for all of you who are um, experiencing widowhood, we just want you to know you've got a community of people who are hoping to um, offer you support and um, provide you with the, that light at the end of the tunnel, as Abel said. The loss of a loved one can leave you feeling depressed, angry, alone, lost. But you don't have to face this journey on your own. Open to Hope is a free community for anyone who has experienced loss. Find support. Find help. Find hope. Give grief a voice at opentohope.com.